Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Life is fast and stressful. Sometimes we tend to ignore a bit of self-care. Well, Kokori has a new specialised yoga studio. Situated at 15 Nickel Street, the loft at Bend Brave Become could be your new favourite quiet space. You might want time away for the kids, time to gather your thoughts, or even trying to heal an existing injury. The specialised team at the loft include physiotherapists and sports therapists. They offer yoga disciplines, physio-led pilates, meditation, pranayama, stretch and tone, mobility, mother and baby hatha yoga plus holistic services like reiki massage and crystal therapy if you're interested get yourself down to the loft at bend breathe become at 15 nickel street kirkwoody Jim Craig, how you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for inviting me into your wonderful home. No problem. How's things? As long as you behave yourself. <laughs> i still got my shoes on. I'm going to take my shoes off, Jim. They'll be daft. For no, no, sake, no. I'm not go. taking mine off. I'll get mine on as well. So. There we go. How ignorant of me. How's things on this, was it Sunday the 11th of... September. September, yeah, you had to think about that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah no, everything's fine. The, the, the flat we're in just now, we've just sold, so we're moving to a house within the next few weeks. It's a very nice flat in a very nice situation, but it's been a bit small, to be quite honest. The lack of space a wee bit. So you're moving to a far bigger place, is it? Well, not far bigger, but uh, next to room, and uh, that'll make a difference. Because kids come and stay with us, you know, and it, just now it's yeah. a bit uh, cramped sometimes. Busy grandparents, is it? <laughs> I hope so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You see, you were telling me that you've got nine grandparents. Nine, yeah. Four in uh, New Zealand, two in Wales, two in uh, Newton Mearns, and one in Stirling. All a bit scattered. And you are the chief babysitters, yeah? Yes, chief cook and babysitters, yeah. <laughs> I'm not the cook, thank God, no. But, uh, you don't want to taste any of my cooking. <laughs> not a speciality of mine. I'm going to clean it up, though, you know, and tidying up. I'm good at that. What's it like being a grandparent? like compared to being a parent? It's a fantastic thing to be a grandparent because you're just hit by love without really doing anything for it. I've been absolutely amazed at the love that I get from my grandchildren. Since I don't see them, you know, every day of my life, it's wonderful to see them and, um, you know, I love them all and uh, it's been a great time for Elizabeth and I. How old's your oldest? Oldest is 14. The teens, eh? Aye, the teens now, yeah. So far they all seem to be behaving themselves. (laughs) (laughs) 
We came in contact, Jim, because my last episode, I interviewed your son. James. Yeah. Yes, I interviewed your son, James. I'm not going to introduce yourself. <laughs> Who is Jim Craig? Uh, Jim Craig, yeah. Well, funny enough, can I just say about James, the one thing that's always fascinated me about James is the fact that he is James. I mean, you would think in Glasgow, <laughs> keeping the name James is near impossibility, <laughs> isn't it? Because yeah. you're either Jim or Jimmy from yeah. the start. Mm-hmm. I've always been Jim. My father was Jimmy and his father was Jimmy as well. James was our third son. I didn't want another James in the family. I already had my father and my grandfather and all this, and myself. So the first one was Mark, and the second one was Richie. But when Elizabeth was pregnant with her third one, and the bump started to appear, Mark and Richard used to pat the bump and talk about we James. Right. So that was it. (laughs) No no choice. James it was. Very good. So what alternate names were you thinking at the time? Well, we didn't really get as far as that. They just always referred to him as James, and it just kind of stuck, and uh, that was it. So he is um, James Matthew, and Mark is Mark James Anthony. So we put the James in there, the the oldest one, and Richard is Richard Michael, and then uh, Nicholas is Nicholas uh, Edmund. But don't ask me where the Edmund came from. It's rather posh, I think. You know. And then we adopted a wee girl, Lisa. And uh, Lisa is now 40 and uh, is doing well for herself. She is, oh God, head of global something or other at top bankers in London. She's doing well. Very uh, good. And she was a hockey player. Boys were all rugby players. She was a hockey player. Good hockey player too. In fact, one of my favourite moments was on the hockey pitch with her where she came off at half time and her immediate opponent had been a girl who was slightly taller and broader than her. I was messing about a wee bit and I said to her when she came out for the second half, I said, Lisa, and I pointed to the girl, I said, assert yourself. Do you understand me? And she said, just assert yourself. And the first challenge as the girl came in, she swung her elbow around and caught her right in the point of the jaw right. and put her flat in her back. Right. And I thought, in the name of God, <laughs> that is not a search herself. Anyway, play went on. And at the end of the game, the referee came over to me and says, Jim, I got such a shock when Lisa done that, I forgot he blowed a whistle. <laughs> but you tell her from me, the next time I get her, I'm keeping an eye on her. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, sorry, that's uh, sometimes starts in there. I don't know why. Is that the Alexa? Is that? (laughs) Wait, I'll turn it off. (laughs) I wish I could do that to the other one. (laughs) I never said that. I hope you didn't record that one. (laughs) I'll need to edit that bit. <laughs> oh, brilliant! <laughs> so you touched on there. You've got four boys, yeah, and I got What was that like? It was hard work. They were all athletic and all played different sports. I put them to football first of all to the Cubs, and I went down to see them play a couple of times, and I was absolutely appalled at what I was seeing. And, and Elizabeth has said to me before, right, I don't want you interfering. I said, No, no, I'm not going to interfere. So I'm, you know, I'm very sensible. It's not my scene to interfere kids football but if they didn't do something right they would get shouted at by the man in charge right now the reason they didn't do what they were supposed to do was they were nine and ten and it was a soaking wet day or an icy day that was why they weren't able to do what they were trying to do you don't shout at them so we decided eventually that we would put them when they were mark was about 10 at the time 10 or 11 
and then the others were all a bit younger. They would put them to um, mini rugby on a Sunday, and it was quite good for us because for about three or four hours, of us. <laughs> <laughs> they were out of road, you know. Childcare, wasn't it? Childcare, yeah. <laughs> when I went down there to watch them, if they dropped a the ball, the guy would say, pick it up and go again, which is the right thing to say. Right, not shout at them because they can't do something. Encourage them. So to be fair, going to rugby, and they all took up rugby, and they all played for first division teams in Scotland, teams in England as well, and um, teams in international. It was just um, a really good time. And a Friday night, Elizabeth and I would sit down because they all liked us to be there to see them. So Elizabeth and I would sit down on a Friday night with the fixture list. <laughs> and I would go off in one direction, she'd go off in another. And that meant somebody was there to watch them. Mm. And then we would meet back again at West of Scotland in Mungai, which was their home club. And there would be a meal, very nice meal too. The chef, Alan James, is a great Celtic band. And um, great meal, still there, still doing it. Not at West anymore, but at high school in Glasgow. Then uh, a young lady from one of the less reputable districts in Glasgow used to stand up to do the karaoke. And she was a tough cookie, and she would stand up and say, Ladies and gentlemen, we are now about to start the karaoke. Now, you all remember the rules. When I shout your name, up you come. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and nobody was going to argue because right, right. <laughs> she just looked as though she could handle herself <laughs> I asked James when James was on and I says the natural step for you would be football James and he was unsure of why you pushed towards the rugby and felt that you didn't want any of your sons or your daughter to almost like live in the shadow. Well, I didn't, I didn't want that either. But So that was a part. But to, to begin with, that only dawned on me afterwards, but to begin with, because I've been amazed. I mean, I go out in the streets nowadays and people stop me for a chat and I find that, I mean, I'm 79 years of age, you know, and I played 50 odd years ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I find it quite astonishing that people <laughs> want, want a selfie taken with me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just quite amazing. I mean, what I did was a long time ago and, I mean, it was a very successful period in the Celtic system, but it was 50 odd years ago and mm. I find that quite incredible that people still want you know, I had an, a wonderful moment in Ireland. They have a function every year in Dublin for Celtic supporters all over Ireland. Now, what happens is, is a bus comes, there's a plane comes in from Celtic Park, brings a few players in, but they leave straight after the meal and come back again. And the older guys and myself who have been invited are there and we're signing stuff. Now, there was a bit of a queue, you know, to get stuff signed. This guy stopped in front of me. I said, Jim, do you see the lady down there? There's a blonde girl, about four or five down to your left. And I said, yeah. She says, well, that's my fiance. She's going to make you an unusual request, but it's all right by me. Oh, I said, right, okay. So when she came up, she says, hello, Mr. Craig, nice to meet you. I said, nice to meet you too. She said, did you speak to my fiancé? Oh, I said, it's herself. She says, yes, I did. Well, she says, and she turned her back towards me, she said, and she pulled her dress down, and she said, I was wondering if you'd sign my thong. <laughs> so I had a Sharpie beside me, and I picked it up, and then I thought, where is this thong going to end up, by the way, with my signature on it? So I, unfortunately, I signed her backside above the thong. <laughs> and I should imagine only a few people saw that one. Yeah? <laughs> I did notice it was, an, it was one of these permanent markers. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's still there. <laughs> it might still be there for all I know. Yeah? Being a parent can be tough, stressful and confusing. Sometimes it can feel like you have no support. Well, parents in the Cooper and Dundee area 
there is a new service which could help you. Nurture Steps is a small charity that helps children aged up to five with additional support needs. Their new office has just opened at the Westport Business Centre. They work with families of children who are seeking an assessment of social communication or interaction difficulties, or children who have already had a diagnosis of a social communication disorder, such as autism. The charity delivers early intervention and positive behavioural support. The focus is on families living in and around Cooper or Dundee, with their aim to expand their services to help as many families as possible. If this sounds like the type of service that could help you, check out their new website at www.nurturesteps.com or email for more information info at nurturesteps.com I think I would be amazed if people still actually just recognised me in 50 years' time. Well, it it is remarkable. I mean... I'm still on television sometimes, so that I suppose helps. Mm. And um, I worked in Stirling for a long time, <laughs> and from a football career as well. And we were walking through Stirling one day, and I had Chloe, who at that time was about eight. A few people asked for a Norga for a selfie or all this. But Chloe eventually said to me, I took her for a, an ice cream, sat down for it because she had a chocolate as well, I think. She says, Grandpa, I asked you something. I said, yes, of course, Chloe. She says, do you know everybody in Stirling? I said, oh, no. <laughs> no, yeah. I said, I don't know. <laughs> I said, a lot of them were patients when I was here. And of course, right. the other ones remember me from my football days. Right, so right, I said, it's got a combination of two. But she said, she was, she says, I was fed up with standing waiting for you. <laughs> quite right. <laughs> I said, I know, quite, quite right. I'm very sorry, you know. Yeah. That must be a new thing as well, is like asking for selfies. Whereas... Oh, selfies are something else, by the way. That's the worst invention ever. <laughs> I mean, I don't mind. Uh, and I had another funny moment where I was, uh, my practice was in Glasgow City Centre and uh, in Trongate. I was heading to the station one night to catch my train home, because I just do a train in and back to Mears Inn. This grandfather stopped me and said, uh, how you doing, Jim? I said, I'm very well, thank you. And he introduced himself. And he says, my grandson. And I said, how you doing, sir? He said, fine, thank you. Uh, What's your name? I said, this is Brian. And he would you sign this programme for me? He says, I've got a programme. It's not for you. No, no, I said, fine, that'd be great. So I signed it to Brian, best wishes, Jim Gray. But just before I left the practice, I'd been signing a whole series of forms to be sent to the estimates board. So the next morning, I went and got my train, and the next morning I came, and the grandfather was sitting in the waiting room. And um, I said, uh, how you doing? And he says, I'm fine, thank you. I said, um, did I spell Brian wrong or something? No, he says, I think you spelled your own name wrong. And I made it to Brian, best wishes, James P. Craig. Because <laughs> that's my official <laughs> title. And that's what I've been saying in all these forums. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've seen another sheet of paper I just signed. <laughs> I said, well, I was holding on to that, by the way. <laughs> that is very unusual, that one. Uh, and was the action for an appointment like? No, can you just come in and tell me? <laughs> right, tell me if this is right. Born 30th April 1943. Yep. Second World War's still going on. Oh, yep, yep. Dad was in the Navy, got compassionate leave for the first six weeks to come and see me. His ship was in um, uh, Portsmouth, I think, or Plymouth, one or two, Portsmouth, I think. And uh, <laughs> that's quite a good story, actually, because at the end of the sixth week, he was going back, he was getting a, a bus from the top of the road to Central Station to get a train to London to go back to Portsmouth. And he was standing at the bus stop and he realised he left his watch upstairs in the bathroom when he'd been having a shower and shave. Right? And my mother was 
hold me up by the front door. He shouted to her, Greta, she looked up, she said, my watch, I've left it in the bathroom upstairs. I'll get it next weekend. She said, okay, Jimmy. And three years later, he came back. (laughs) (laughs) I'll get it next weekend. (laughs) And apparently I was hiding behind my mother's skirts looking at him because I had no idea where he was. I know, I'd never seen him before. You know, so that was was Dad's homecoming. (laughs) And he was a heavy. Was he? Oh, yeah, dedicated hippie. That was his team, and uh, he used to say to me going out, now, I know you're going to beat them, but be kind to my boys. <laughs> <laughs> so what was it like, because you grew up in Glasgow? Govan, yeah, Govan. Yeah, I was just along the road from Ibrox Park. I was about a mile from Ibrox Park. You know, most of the folk round about us were Rangers fans. Me Catholics, we supported Celtic. Yeah. Uh, my mother in, in that house was my grandma and grandfather, um, Uncle Philip, who's a bachelor, uh, Uncle Patrick, who was married at the time, and Uncle Tommy, who was a bachelor as well, although he married later on. So they were on the house along with Mance, May and Gloria. So it was a kind of crowded house. Mm. And then we went to a prefab in Cardonald. But I would occasionally get down and see my, my, my uh, gran and grandpa. And every day from either my primary school or my secondary school, St. Gerard's in Govan, I went home to, or I went to my, my granny's house for lunch. I never went to school dinner the whole time I was at school. Not once. No, I always went home on the bus. Hate me special on the bus. Uh, that was how I went home. I went home for lunch and then went home properly to the house my parents lived in afterwards. You know, just amazing. What was it like post, like, because that would have been post-war, eh? well, 50s, eh? Yeah, well, of course, I had no experience of what it was like before. Of course. But, I mean, I can remember still looking at shop windows and not being able to buy anything because you needed coupons right. to buy things. And I don't think rationing stopped until probably the same time as the Queen ascended the throne, 52, 53, I think it was, you know. So mm. I couldn't buy sweets or anything like that at all. I, would, I didn't have the money to buy sweets anyway. I mean, even when I was a student at Glasgow University, I, I usually had no money left at the end of the night and I would walk down to... <laughs> from the university to the ferry station at Partick and get a ferry across to Govan and then walk from Govan up to Cardonald because <laughs> didn't have a tosser left, you know? And yeah. that was because there was not a great deal of money about. Yeah. That was life in those days. And Glasgow was quite densely populated. Yes. Working class. Oh, yeah, yeah, very much so. You know, I mean, my fa- my grandfather worked in the shipyards in Glasgow. My, my grandfather worked in an electrical sort of shop in Edinburgh. My aunties were either clerks or school teachers. Two of them were school teachers. One of them was a clerk in the Glasgow Corporation. And uh, Uncle Philip was a teacher. Tommy was a manager in the co-op. My dad was a manager in the co-op furnishing. Tommy was in drapery. And uh, Patrick had a kind of peripatetic existence and then went to Ireland and married Nell. And he worked in the shipyards in Govan. He was a guy who made sure that your engine was in the right place and it was performing well and not offline or anything like that at all, you know. Mm. So that was his job to do that. Yeah. He was very well thought of, you know. No, it was an interesting experience. And of course, uh, St. Gerard's was, St. Gerard's in Govan was about half a mile from Ibrox Park. St. Gerard's been in the school? Senior secondary school. And for some reason, I don't know who the genius worked this one up, <laughs> but I mean, they must, have, they must have known where they were going to put the school. And the uniform was bright green blazer. <laughs> And when you became a prefect, as I was in my fourth, fifth and sixth year, they gave you gold braid to wear around the outside of <laughs> the green blazer. And you stuck out like a flaming target walking through Govan, you know. And it was one classic day where 
that our head teacher had a wonderful habit of doing that whistle, which I've yep. never been able to do. Can you do that whistle? You put I two can't. fingers in your mouth. What, what you're doing for people that are listening is the two fingers in the mouth yeah, whistle. Yeah, I could never do that. Right? Don't know how people do it. So I was I was in the playground. I was talking to a few of the guys, and I heard this piercing whistle, and I looked. We all looked across, and the head teacher was standing there, and he pointed. He, he was pointing at the three of us, and we went. Him, no, him, no, me, yes. <laughs> and he pointed to come here. So I went across, he says, what's your next class? And I explained what it was. He said, right, I'll clear it with the teacher. I want you to take this letter down to the bank at Government Cross. Okay, you know where the bank is? I said, all right. He said, well, take it down to the Bank of Scotland at Government Cross. How and old are you at this point? 14, maybe. 15, 15 right? Uh, no, I'd be 16. Right. Just, just the first year of a prefect. And he says, you don't need to wait for a reply. Just hand it in and come back up the road again. So I'm walking down and two guys come to the head of a close about 20 yards in front and they're both wearing kind of rangers emblems and I thought that's all I needed by the way right and I'm here on my own dressed like a turkey you know and um, <laughs> I was thinking straight across the road and I thought no bugger it I'm just going to carry it on right and suddenly a guy appeared in a close between me and them and he looked at me and then he turned and looked at them and as, I, as he looked at them I saw the scar running right down the side of the face down his neck as well you know and I thought hard man because right? there was a few of them in government mm. at the time, you know, to have carrying razors and stuff, you know. Mm. And uh, as I passed by, he said to me, you'll be all right, sir. He said to me. So he was a Tim Hardman. <laughs> <laughs> that was your angel. And as I passed these two Rangers guys, they just shrank back in the close because they'd seen him looking yeah. and so obviously talked to me and they weren't going to argue with him, you know. Yeah. But, but I went back a different way. Just be honest, right? <laughs> what was it like back then? Like the divide that? Well, the divide was quite. I mean, I've spoken to Fergie about this regularly because he was at Govan High, which mm. was the adjacent Protestant school. We never played against each other because he is a bit older than me. Uh, but he remembers it well as well. That was the Rangers and Celtic of the season when you were playing Govan High in a competition, mm. you know, and the crowds turn up. I know, and not just kids turn up. There'd be adults turn up, scream each team on. You know, it was quite mm. amazing. That this went down to that level, but mm. it was true, and um, you just were, you know, make sure you beat this mob. <laughs> sort of idea aye, which aye. you you would get when I was older, but um, to get into it yeah. at that age was was quite amazing. Scary, yeah. Scary, yes, because many people listen to your broadcast. I I occasionally refer it to the old firm game, and they don't know what that means. Now, the old firm was a term used in the papers a way back in the past when the two teams suddenly became the most important teams in Glasgow because up until then, Queen's Park had been the major team in Glasgow. Thirlanock were a good side. Patrick Thistle were a good team as well. But these two suddenly took over. And they were called the old firm because people thought that because they had become so popular and raised so much money that there was some behind the scenes, some kind of rapport between the two, like a corporation the old firm, mm-hmm. and they were in league with each other to raise money. Nothing could be further from the truth. Mm. They have never been great pals off the park, perfectly civil to each other. I have good friends amongst the players I played against when I was playing for Celtic. On the park, they were the opposition, and yeah. my job was to make, yeah, make sure they didn't score goals, and you try to put it in operation. So, mm. But that's perfectly natural. That's, you know, sporting contests are contests, and you try and make sure the opposition doesn't win. And do mm. your best to make sure that you do win. But that was where the old firm bit came from, yeah. was the fact that people thought there was some collusion between them. To leave the high school, 
When does football become an ambition? Well, I played for, as I mentioned, I played for Scottish schools two years running. What I didn't know at the time was I'd met Jimmy Smith because I recognised him from my, my dad had put, come to a game one day and pointed him out. What I didn't, rec- didn't realise was that there was a Celtic scout watching me as well. And he made me an offer at the end of my final year at school to come and join him at Celtic Park. But I was going to do dentistry and I'd heard stories of a lot of guys dropping out in first year dentistry because it was a tough course. You did a physics, chemistry, biology in first year and then anatomy, physiology, biochemistry in second year. And also in second year, you did anatomy classes on a Saturday morning. So there wasn't really a great deal of time during mm-hmm. the week to do anything else. So I declined their offer, but I played for the third team in my first year at university, but I did not train at Celtic Park. I just trained on my own. And in actual fact, that helped because I used to train by running around Bella Houston Park. The right round was about a couple of miles, and I would do that most nights. But occasionally, if I was feeling pretty good, when I got to the far end of Bella Houston Park, I would go up to Crossmaloof Ice Rink, which added another two miles, so that'd be a four-mile run. And what I did not realise at the time was that the stamina training was going to send me into a very good mode later on. But as I say, I didn't know that at the time. It was just a, a method of uh, keeping fit. And then in my second year, I played for the University Dental College football team. We played on a midweek, usually. We played other colleges, uh, the vet school and things like that. So all this time, apparently, and I didn't know this, Joe Connor, whom I used to meet at Mass on a Sunday, and I would ask him how he was doing, I'd find him. A bugger never told me he was keeping an eye on me. He was there, he was hiding behind trees and behind cars, watching how I was playing. Mm-hmm. They did the same when I was playing for the you know the, the Neto Hospital team. And when I got to fourth year, they made me an offer again, and this time I signed because I thought, oh, I'm going to finish now. I've got three years under my belt. It might take me a lo- longer than two years to finish, but I'll finish at some point. You know, mm. uh, I signed for Celtic in January 1965. Uh, played for the reserves the rest of that season. Then started the following season in the reserves, and then made my de- debut in September against Go Ahead Deventer. And shortly after that, was in the first team on a permanent basis. So the next until Lisbon, I was always the first choice right back. 67's obviously the Anus the, Mirabilis. What's that? The Anus Mirabilis, the wonderful year. Guy. It, it was a, but it was a great year for Scottish football. Eh? Yes, it was. Rangers reached the semi final, uh, the final the of the final, uh, the cup winners. Summer, is there? Scotland had beaten England, yeah, yeah. who had just been crowned the world champions, That's right. and obviously Celtic wins the European Cup. Yeah, yeah. So Scottish football's on a bit of high. It is, yeah. We'll never see something like that again. No, but I mean, we've just got to try our best. I mean, we've got to do more to help. This has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but we've got to do more to bring the kids through. And what we really need is right throughout the country, we need need indoor arenas. I mean, our weather in winter can be really hellish Mm. to train in, to Mm. play in. And if you've got kids on a soaking wet surface trying to control a ball, it's very very difficult for them to do Mm. that. On an icy surface, it's even worse trying to control your footing Mm. before you control a ball. As bad as well. Whereas if we had indoor arenas, and we should have them in every single major place in Scotland, Mm. where kids can go at night time, not just in football, rugby and hockey as well. They've got somewhere to train where it's warm, dry, and I think we need those in every single part of the country. And they did this in Iceland apparently, and that's why Iceland is suddenly appearing at the later stages of European tournaments where beforehand it never had a chance. And I think it's just about going around things the right way. I think the population in Iceland's like... 
tiny. Oh, it's tiny. It's, it's less than an ounce. Oh, it's, I think it's way less. I don't yeah, think it's yeah, even yeah. a million. Yeah. Do you think that's why a lot of the lower down teams have went for the AstroTurf? Yes. Because yeah. it gets criticised, and I can see the criticisms in that, but when you think about like the lower teams, part-time teams, being Astro actually generates money for them because the public can use it. Of course, eh? yeah, yeah. So why not? Eh? No, why not? And it's the way of the future, to be quite honest. So we'll have to get used to it. Mm. It will improve. It will get better as well. It can be a bit dodgy, they tell me, because I've never really played on it. Mm. I've played a kickabout on it, but I've never played a game on it, mm. so I don't really know. Guys that have played on it said it can be a bit dodgy to play on, and you get good surfaces and bad surfaces. But the thing is, you get good surfaces when it's grass mm. and bad surfaces. And there used to be places like when I was playing... Ibrox and Celtic Park were regarded as good surfaces. The best in the country was Muirton Park in Perth was regarded as the best. Dundee was regarded as a good one. Dens Park. Tannadice wasn't a good one and others weren't good ones. Hibs are a terrible slope, by the way. An awful slope. And they always used to kick uphill in the first half if they won the toss and downhill in the second. Yeah, do yeah. the charge in the second half. Yeah. And uh, Tyne Castle is the, the probably the best atmosphere of the time because there was very little between the edge of the playing surface and the crowd. It's, kind of, it's still like that a wee bit. It is a wee bit like that, yeah. And it was always a great... We all loved playing there because mm. of the atmosphere. The Celtic Party had a running track, Ibrox had a running track, which put the crowd further back again. Yeah. You know, Hamden was the same. But there was this grounds. Some were... Uh, some of the changing rooms were really unbelievably bad, you know, <laughs> but uh, we won't go into that. But then clubs, it's not a great deal of money coming in. And mm. they've got to offer some decent wages. If they don't offer decent wages, you don't get people joining you. And it's the same nowadays. It must be really difficult running a football club. And that's yeah. why, I mean, if Americans come in and people say, Ari, ah, don't fancy this idea of Americans coming in, but Americans are coming in and bringing some money with them. And at least they're going to put some money in that mm. is going to help your team. Why did you choose football? Because you had a career in dentistry, eh? Yeah. So why did you decide, now I'm going to pursue this career in football for the minute? Well, I did both. I mean, once I qualified, I went back to football. And I worked two afternoons a week in the practice because um, I had a chat with the boss and I said to him that uh, I would quite like to keep my eye on, you know. So what we agreed on was that, now in those days, we always played on a Wednesday and a Saturday. There was no Sunday football until 74. And we didn't do Thursday games or Tuesday games or anything like that. So it was always Wednesday, Saturday. So we were not going to train on a Tuesday afternoon or a Friday afternoon. So those were the two afternoons that I worked and it was enough to keep mm. keep up to date, tough stuff like that, you know. Yeah. And he was quite happy with that. He always used to say, at least you're not in the pub and the bookies. And is that because when football eventually does finish up... You need something. You're you? going to need something. You're going to need something. So it was just a question of keep my eye in and waiting for the dreaded moment because I thoroughly enjoyed my football clear like everybody else you have highs lows good moments bad moments injuries could be a bit of a, a nuisance but I was quite lucky I, I didn't really get uh, very much in uh, the way of uh, injuries <laughs> my two worst injuries were after I played uh, right. aye, aye. Huh? 1981 I was playing an old Crocs game down at Greenock and I broke my flaming leg and <laughs> I ball came down out there and I trapped it and swiveled to the side and my studs just locked in the turf and as I as I turned to the side, when he stayed in place, and I heard this sort of ping from underneath my knee, and uh, when I glanced down, my knee was getting bigger. I came off straight away, and funny enough, I drove home too from from Greenock to Bearsden, and uh, in pain, you know. And uh, the next morning, I was up with a balloon, and Elizabeth phoned across to the Victoria Infirmary, Celtics 
the consultant and explained what happened. He said, you better come across. I went across the same and broke my tibia. So I was put in plaster. I was about two and a half, three months in plaster and a couple of days off and then I went back to work with the legs, full plaster from hip to, from uh, ankle to knee. And, and funny enough, it was my right leg too and that was the leg I used to control the pedals. So I had to start doing it on the left side and that was really awkward because uh, it's like doing something you're not used to, you know. Uh. And uh, the number of patients that stepped off the chair and stepped in my bad leg, you know. But I, they say they, uh, there was an accident, I, I wonder. I just think they were getting their own back, you know. <laughs> And then in 82, I was up the park with James, Mark, the oldest, and Lisa, and we're throwing a tennis ball, and Mark threw it too hard, and I said, oh, for God's sake, Mark, and I ran back and jumped to catch it. And I genuinely thought a sniper had shot me in the ankle. That's what I thought happened. There was this terrible pain in my left ankle. I went right over backwards out of the deck. I must have been slightly knocked out, because I don't remember anything for a second or two. And then when I came to... Uh, I was lying on the ground, and Mark was standing at my feet. He says, you know, Dad, you always told us to keep an eye on the ball, but I was different class because I thought <laughs> You had the ball in your hand? <laughs> but, I, uh, but I said to him, well, you'll need to, I've done something to Michael. You'll need to go and get a car, bring it up, because we'd walked up to the park. Mate. So he would, he'd just passed his driving test. So he ran down the house and brought a car up and drove me down. And then I, I went back the next day to the... Victoria, and he said, what are you doing this time? I said, well, left ankle. Ah, oh, God, he says, oh, so he actually snapped your Achilles. So I was placer again. It was uh, it was tough going because, um, and then in eight, I was still playing at the time, 71, and I said, that was my worst injury playing. I went up for a high ball, and I was keeping her coming out knees first, caught me right in the ribcage, you know, and I went down, it took me off, and it was fucking nice. Oh, please, you know, like that. Nah. Jesus God, you know. Anyway, I was supposed to go. Do you remember quiz ball that I used to do? I've got a question about quiz right, ball. Well, I was to do it the next day in Manchester, and uh, I phoned him up and said, I can't come because, oh, you need to come. I said, Well, I can't. I said, Because I can hardly do anything for myself. Is your wife busy? I said, oh, I said, Well, bring her down with you, and we'll fly you down. We're going to come down by car. So we fly down to the airport. So we go to the airport next day. And we're walking along the first day in in Manchester. Elizabeth said, Oh, I like that there. And I turned around and I said, What? Somebody just stuck a knife right in there. And I went like that. And Elizabeth came and helped me. She said, You're right, you're right. Yeah, I'm okay, okay. And it started easing off. And then it was okay. And I was fine again, you know. I've still got the ache for the break. I was they broke the ninth and tenth rounds, eh? right? But the ache you get used to, you know, it's just a, an ache all the time, you know. But this was something else, by the way, you know. And f- and the whole time in Manchester, occasionally, if I turn suddenly, ah, this knife, so they stick this knife. Right. So I come back up to Celtic Park on the Friday morning. I go in the door. First person I met was Sean Fallon, the assistant manager, and he looks at me and he says, "Ah, oh, I forgot to tell you, the Victoria phoned you on Monday. You've punctured something." I said, "I punctured what?" He says, I wrote it down, he went in his room, he comes out, he says, you've punctured the pleura of your lung. The lung's got two layers of mucosa surrounding it, and it's got a liquid in between it. And I'd punctured it, so the liquid had leached out. So the two layers were sticking together. And he forgot to tell you? He forgot to tell me. And I'm wondering, and and of course, when I moved suddenly, the two of them stuck together, and that's what the pain was. And they were fucking agonising, by the way, you know, it's like somebody just plunging a knife in there. That, That eventually eased off. The ribs took quite a longer. I was out for about two weeks, and then the boss 
and I was doing some running myself, and I see him standing at the foot of the tunnel, and I thought, you're kidding me, by the way. And I come round the tunnel, he says, how you doing? I said, I'm all right. He says, going to ask you something. Oh, I said, no. He says, could you play tomorrow? <sighs> Two weeks after I broke my ribs. And I says, you're kidding me, boss. He says, uh, no, I'm not kidding, Kenny. He says, I need you on that side. He says, Murdoch's a better player when you're behind him. And Johnson, as you know, is a better player when you're behind him. Because you bring it to him into the game. I need you to play. Now, he says, I've arranged for you to get an injection before the game. Painkiller injection. I said, aye, thanks. <laughs> and, I, and I said, he says, how's that bit in the middle? I said, that bit in the middle is actually okay. He says, I'll give you a painkiller injection there too. So I got two painkiller injections there and there for the game. And then played. And I was fine. The whole time right. I was absolutely fine. But see that night, man, when injections wore off. Oh, God. I was nearly in tears. Both of them were absolutely throbbing away, you know. I thought, I'm never doing it again. But I did it in the Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dearie me. You must look at the modern game, right? The way players are looked after now. Amazing. They're spoiled in, in, oh, in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. What's your thoughts on it? Well, it's, it's, it's evolution. It's the way the game has evolved. And it's good that they're getting that. Absolutely terrific they're getting that. And I'm very pleased for them. But ours was primitive. Now, I've got to tell you a story here that you're not going to use, by the way, because it's a really awful story. But the ball came off somebody's foot one day and hit me right in the bloody kisser in the middle of the game. And I'm spitting out blood and my nose is bleeding and my eyes are watered. And I've got a jersey up and I'm trying to dry myself, you know. And the referee ran past and said, you're right, son. And I said, I can't see it with my left eye. He says, hold on a minute. Blew the whistle. Goalkeeper about to take a bike kick. Blew the whistle. Motion for the trainer to come on. Now, for some reason, nearly mocking was the normal trainer, didn't come on. Bob Rooney came lumbering on, the, the physio, and the referee said, the young guy's getting mud in his eye. So Bob pulled my upper and lower eyelid apart, and I hate him to do that. I don't like my, gee, I don't like my tushing down that, by the way. Right? I say, I'll, do it, I'll do it. No, you leave it to me, and I'll do it. So Bob pulls the two of them, dead roughly apart, and as I thought, bent down to have a look at what was wrong, and licked the mud off my <laughs> So nowadays when I have what Elizabeth calls my irrational moments, she always says it's either mercury poisoning from the dentistry or that trainer looking at my <laughs> or them years ago. <laughs> Isn't that disgusting? That's horrible, eh? Oh, fuck. And I love telling that story over dinner when somebody's... Because <laughs> you say, oh, for God's sake, I push a plate when I say, well, I'll, have... I'll finish up for you. <laughs> Can we go through your, uh, your trophy hall? Yeah, I've got seven league championships, four Scottish Cups, three league Cups, and uh, what's that one? A European Cup. <laughs> you've Plus, got, you've also got a Glasgow Cup. Glasgow Cup as well, which is the nicest of the medals. Now, what makes it the nicest? Uh, it's the most attractive looking, because it's the Glasgow motto on the tree, you know, and it's got the, uh, the flower and the... The bird, aye, and the fish, and uh, you know all that, and it's it's very nice looking medal. I don't have any of them because I gave them all away. No, I read this. Hmm. Why did you give all your? You've given every medal away. Yeah, some people have them that paid money for them. Others I've just given to, and uh, I recently got one back from a cousin, 
um, because um, he was frightened of having it in the house and I gave it to my youngest grandson uh, in this country, Jason, because I don't have the responsibility of looking after him, to be quite honest. And I thought there was no point in having him in the bank because that's just somebody else is just, you know, going to get them eventually. So I gave him out to cousins and my dad was very good at giving them to priests, you know. <laughs> I gave my dad a few, and I don't know where the hell they are now, to be quite honest. Right. You know? But to be honest, I'm not really interested, to be honest. I'm Why? Not, because it all happened in the past, and I've got to look forward. Right. Okay. That's my latest acquisition. Do you see the cup? I do see that. That was for the 55th anniversary of Lisbon. That was from Celtic. And I've got other things in the garage because I've no place to put them in here. I just have them on display, but I'm not really interested. And the next time I get the bag out of the garage, I'm going to give them out to my sons and daughter mm. and give them away to, or to them. Because I I like looking back as regards the stories and the anecdotes and things like that, but I'm not really interested in them. Yeah. You know. I've got quite a, a nice one in there just now and it's of Henrik Larson and he signed it for me and it's of him and it's lying behind the bloody shelf. <laughs> <laughs> That's how good care I'm taking of it. <laughs> Is it because, do you find it difficult looking at No, back? no, I just think that I've got to live for the present. I mean, I've, when, I, when I open the, the garage, I keep saying I should do something with that because I've got this thing that UEFA gave us and it was presented to... Jim Craig winning the European Cup, UEFA Football Association and all that. Now, the glass has been, it's in a frame. It's been smashed in transit somewhere, right? Mm. It's lying in a box in a bloody garage, you know. Mm. Now, it should be up on display here, but I've no place to put it in it, you know. Mm. I mean, I like these things I've got up, you know. I mean, that was given to us by Arnold Clark because when he... Uh, was going with his second wife. We were the first people to entertain them. That was a patient who could not pay my bill and was an artist. Gave me that instead of the bill. So, <laughs> what can I do? <laughs> and my favourite is out on the hall. Remind me to show you when you're going because uh, I bought that off a guy at the door one night and um, I like it. I'm going to go through your medal hall individually, right? Yep. League title 66, league title 67, league title 68. 69, 70, 71, 72. Yep. Scottish Cup, 67. Scottish Cup, 69, 71, 72. League Cup, 68, 69, 70. European Cup in 67. Can we talk about the 66, 67 season? Sure, Because yeah, it's yeah. the one that, yeah, yeah. that sticks out, yeah? Yeah. So well, you... I got it off to a bad start because I had, I, I sat my finals a bit later than everybody else because I get called in to see the Dean about January 1966. I thought to myself, what the hell have I done, you know? So mm. uh, he says to me, um, you're struggling a bit, Mr Craig. And I said, I put my hand up to protect. He says, no, no. He said, you're not struggling academically. You're struggling with the workload. He said, you're supposed to get a thousand points worth of work to set your finals. And he says, you're lower than most people. And he says, and that's where you're struggling. And I put my hand up. He says, Mr Craig, I'm not stupid. I know that on a Tuesday and a Thursday, you're nipping off early to go to training. On a Wednesday, you sometimes don't come in at all in the afternoon because I presume you're going home for a rest <laughs> before playing. Yeah. He says, I'm not daft. I realise why is it. But he says, we've got to deal with the situation because you've got to get a thousand points. And he says, so I'm going to make a suggestion to you and you'll have to take up the suggestion. Now, I suggest you write me a letter saying that you are struggling in the manner we've just suggested. And instead of the sitting the first part of your finals 
in March of this year and the second part in June. You're going to ask me, could you set the first part of your finals in June and the second part in September? And that'll give you the next few months to get your points up to date. So I come out of the meeting and I'm lost, completely lost, you know, letter and all that kind of stuff, you know. So I went to see a lecturer who was a, Celtic, who was a football fan, not a Celtic fan, a football fan. And I said, then explain what happened. Oh, Johnny says, it's done your turn. He says, I've never heard anybody get that treatment like that before. He says, write that letter. So I write it right now. He says, sit down at my desk here and write it. I wrote it, took it down to Dean's secretary, handed it in, and um, sent for me the next day again. And he says to me, um, thank you for your letter, Mr Craig, and winked at me at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Very interesting. Doing your favour. And he says... Um, I, I've agreed to your request. So that was why I finished in September. But anyway, I missed the tour to America that summer. Instead of playing Craig and Gemmell, they played Gemmell right back and Ian went left back. They came by, done well in the tour in America. Continued with that because I wasn't playing at that time at all. Right. I'd take time off to set my finals in September. So I was just doing, I was back to running around Bellows and Park. Right, right. <laughs> so I met the team all together playing for the reserves. And uh, I was in to see the boss every week. Kept saying to me, we're not playing all that well. I agree with you. He says, but we're winning. He says, so how can I change a team that's winning, you know? So you need to just look behind your time, you know? Fortnight later, I was in again, you know, so. Anyway, they then have a bad spell at Christmas time. They drew with hearts and then they get beaten by Aberdeen, successive games. And then the next game I was in. And I was in then for the rest of the season. Just in time for Lisbon, by the way. I only got in at Christmas and we played... In May, in Lisbon. And uh, I'd missed the first two European nights, and I was there for Vojvodina, and then Duke of Prague, and then, of course, the Lisbon one as well. So you're a lucky man, eh? Cause he didn't have to change the team. I mean, he, he could have thought to himself, ah, bad, bad couple of days, you know? Mm. The thing about managers is, even if they think like that, the, fa- the, the press asks them questions, and sometimes they feel they have to react, you know? What are you going to do about it? You're just drawing a game, look at the stick at Giovanni Brandbronkers has got this week for, for things he said after the game about, you know, we need more money, you know. Yeah. His team did they play. That yeah. was why they lost. Right. Right. <laughs> Nothing to do with more money. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the road to Lisbon. Yeah. Well, I came in at Vos Medina and um, played the quarterfinal, semi-final and final. People always say, well, it, was, it must have been a big occasion for you. It was a big occasion, but... When I look back on it, we were quite a confident bunch, you know. We realised we were a good side. There was no great TV coverage of things in those days, so we didn't know very much about Inter Milan or how they played or anything like that at all. You know, the boss had been to see them. I put my hand up and he, he went as usual. He says, you always want to ask me. I said, but I want to know. And I, always, I wanted to know one thing. How quick was the winger? Right. He says, I've never played against him. I'm a bloody hell, and I know, but he's quick enough. You know, so you need to work that out yourself. You know, hmm. you know. Whereas now you would be able to have a few sessions and they'd be better at it. There'd be reports. Reports. And oh, listen. You know? So usually when I was up against a winger for the first time, first time he got the ball, I would go towards him and give him the wing. So I would stand slightly inside him. I'm facing the same way as him, by the way, right? Mm. And I, I said to one of the Celtic fullbacks I met recently, I said, can I wee private word with you? And he says, I should know. I said, see when you're up against somebody, I said, you're making life a bit difficult for yourself because you're facing square on going forward. Why don't you turn around and face the way he's going to run? Then you're halfway there, you know? 
He says, that's very good. I was thinking, we're so fucking hell. <laughs> so why are we give him the line? You're testing them. Testing them. You're testing After one run, if he's quicker than me, he's not going to get in the line again. I'm going to push him in. You go try and push him across. But if, you, if I'm quicker than him, he's going to do the line all the time. You know, and I would stand further inside. But that's all I wanted to know, how quick was the winger? Because in those days, fullbacks dealt with wingers. Centre-halves dealt with centre-forwards. And it was very much rigid like that. It's 4-4-2 versus 4-4-2. Right. Now it's all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and... Uh, we are playing in America, and George Bear said two things to me that were quite amazing. The first time he says, how are you feeling, John? He said it three times in the first half, and I'm saying to myself, what's, what's, what's he on about? You know? Now, what had happened was they had arrived in America and played a game 24 hours later, and we did the same. But he, when he did that, found it really hard in the second half because he was tired, jet lag. Right? Hmm. And he was waiting for me to feel the same. But the other thing he says to me at the end of the game was, he says, you're quite difficult to play against. He says, because you face the way we're going. I'm saying, so, but of course you face. <laughs> and I said, the other guy's not face the way they're going. He says, you're the first guy that's ever done. I said, no, you're kidding me, by the way. You're playing in England, and I'm the first fullback that's ever gone facing the opposite direction. You're kidding me. He says, no, honestly, God. That's, a, that's amazing, by the way. And we used to play against... I'm not going to mention him because he was a nice guy. <laughs> come on, Jim. But he played for Paddock Thistle and Hibs and the boss used to come in with a team sheet and say to me, Kenny, you're all right, he's playing. Right? And <laughs> the team used to come up to me after he'd gone out and say, what was all that about? I said, no, it's just a private matter between the boss and I, you know. And what he meant was this guy was playing. And this guy would try and run me all the fucking time <laughs> when I was quicker at him. And mm. I used to think to myself, how long was it going to take him to work out that nah. so I'm the quicker of the two? Yeah. I used to think that was bloody amazing, by the way, that somebody would not... <clears throat> people say, you know, footballers get reputation sometimes about thick beard. They shouldn't be as thick as that. He's going to work out something. <laughs> and this guy keeps catching you through yeah. the course of a game, you know. So would you consider yourself, I'm not going to say pioneer, but one of the first kind of modern day fullbacks? The system that you played with Celtic, it was quite attacking, eh? Yes, but... As the boy, and, and Tam used to be very funny to tell us, we were getting ready, and of course, we did Ronnie myself, Tam, four, five, six, seven. And Tam would say, Here he comes, Kenny, here he comes, here he comes. Get ready, Kenny, here he comes. Right? And the boss would walk towards the two <laughs> he'd go between the two years, put his foot up on the bench, and start fiddling with his laces, you know, they were all right, by the way. Uh -huh. Can I just remind you, two gentlemen, that you are defenders first and attackers second? <laughs> That's you getting a telling off. Pre the back. Yeah, yeah. Before the back. <laughs> so the run-up to Lisbon, the games you're involved in. Yep. Bojarina. Who are from where? Bojarina were from Novi Sad in uh, Yugoslavia, as it was in those days. And uh, played the first leg over there, drew on each, and then beat them at Celtic Park 1-0 with uh, Bobby McNeil scoring that goal. I've read somewhere that you said that, that was they were the toughest opponents. They were the best. They were the best team of the lot. They were really tough. A really good guy up against me, fast and pacey. Just kept up me all the time as well. When I got the ball and started coming forward, he'd chase me and and uh, you know try and get the ball off me and try to you know. And then he would start running again. And then Dukla Prague, we played them first over there. Played very well against them over there, I thought, but uh, very much defensive system. 
and then beat them comfortably. Well, I tell you, I beat them comfortably at Celtic Park first of all, and then went over there and, and we played a very defensive system which did not suit us whatsoever. <laughs> I can still remember I came forward the ball at one time and I just crossed the halfway line and I got two shouts for the dog out. The ball shouted, keep going, and nearly mocking the to get back. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't exactly help, and there was actually nobody in front of me, you know, so there was no reason to suddenly stop. But um, I was suddenly in two minds as to what to do. Yeah, um, yeah we went for an all out attack, a defensive system, and it didn't suit us at all. Then, of course, that got us into the final, and mm. it was tremendous build up. Final, you play Inter Milan, yeah. who are known to be ultra defensive. Ultra defensive. Yeah, the Catanaccio system was was something that they put into operation, you know, very routinely. And um, but they had a good attacking force, you know, that scored goals. Well, the defence uh, did their job. The boss tried to explain it to us, but um, the attitude was always that it, that we must take the game to them. We were all for that, you know. Yeah. No matter what they were going to do. I played against a guy called Renato Capellini, who, funnily enough, I looked up the other day because I was curious to know what age he was or whether he was still alive. And he is. He's 78. He's born the same year as me, but I was born in uh, April. He's born in October. Contemporaries. And you showed me a picture before we started. That's the first tackle. The very first tackle of the game. First tackle of the game. You yeah. and him, is it you and him? Eh? You and him. Uh, me and him, yeah, yeah, yeah. We had an amazing amount of possession that day. There were things that happened, but I mean, even before the game, when we left the hotel, we could see that the, the Alfredo Di Stefano was standing there talking to a few of the directors and was wondering what it was all about. We'd heard rumours that we were going to play in his testimonial, but that was the first time that possibly things had been confirmed a wee bit, but nobody said anything at the time. And then we're getting near the stadium when... Somebody shouted for the back of the bus. Hey, boss. He said, what? He says, um, I hate to tell you this, but they all seem to be walking in a different direction to the direction we're going with us, bus. And uh, wait a minute. So the bus, the bus had a word with a driver who did not know where the National Stadium was. <laughs> so we followed the crowds to right. get there, which meant that we arrived late, which in actual fact was a good idea because it's... <laughs> Didn't leave you much time to get uptight or anything like that. Mm. And when we went up to have a look at the pitch, we could not believe the number of green and white shirts that were in the stands at that time. Absolutely incredible. I mean, they were a long, long way. And don't forget, it's 1967. Travel was not easy. And these people have travelled by car and by train and flying to get there. And the, the numbers that were sitting there was just... It was quite humbling, actually, to think that they... They would go to such lengths to get there to see us play, you know. Yeah. I'd watched some footage and it said that between ten to 15,000 Celtic fans had travelled. Yeah, amazing. Which, you're right, it wasn't the age of travel. Not at all, no. So People went holidays to localise, you know, yeah. England or Ireland or somewhere like that, you know. Portugal at that point was a dictatorship. Sure, Salazar. Which must have been so weird for, yeah, yeah. for them to invite... Yeah, yeah. All these Scottish, yeah, yeah, yeah. drunk Scottish folk into their yeah, country. Yeah, yeah. And I was watching as well, the fans coming into the stadium and they didn't have to flash the tick, they just walked in. Just walked in, yeah. yeah. It looked like it was like, it was a beautiful stadium, don't get me wrong, beautiful stadium and that, but it looked like 
It was a part. It was like yeah, a, but it was dead odd. I mean, there was uh, there was a small stand at one side. In fact, you can see the stand in that painting through next door mm. that I've got, you know, behind there. But that was the only stand. The rest was all sitting on steps and stuff like mm. that, all round about it. And then there was parkland on the other side there, you know. So it was really odd. And dressing rooms quite far apart from each other downstairs. And as we're coming up steps to the stadium, we jinky shouted across to Giocinto Facchetti, who was the left back, six foot three, six foot four, Italian international. And he shouts to him, Big man, you, me, after game, jerseys, swapple, swapple. Is that Facchetti. Italian for swap? Swap his rooms. <laughs> He'd been to a fishing chip shop, I think. <laughs> and Facchetti just kind of looked at him and thought, What the fuck is this, by the way? <laughs> and then Bertie very perceptive guy Bertie suddenly realised that we were a bit uptight started singing the Celtic song absolutely wonderful timing and we all joined in and all felt better straight away because you're doing something mm. you know and then we come up and, and we see again the number of fans that are there you know and you just feel you've got an obligation to do something you know mm. that sounds awful kind of trite there but in actual fact you do feel that you know these guys have come a long way we owe them a performance you know and on that day I think everybody rose to the occasion there was not a single player on the park you couldn't say they didn't play well you know everybody mm. rose to the occasion you know I had a moment of horror of course when I gave away a penalty <laughs> so seven minutes in Seven minutes then. There were some good stories back in Glasgow. My parish priest had sat himself down before the game and his housekeeper, Agnes, who I knew quite well because she was a nice lady, she brought him a whiskey before the game. And he said to her, Agnes, isn't it great to have one of our parishioners involved? Such a major occasion. It's wonderful. Get yourself a little refreshment, Agnes. So she poured herself a big glass of sherry, right? So they're sitting there watching the game, and of course, I give away the penalty. And he turns to Agnes and says, Your friend Craig made an awful mess of that. <laughs> <laughs> and in my parents' house, father was there. He was, he was sitting in the stand with my Uncle Philip, who was my godfather. And my dad hadn't really wanted to come because he thought Inter would be too strong for us. He didn't want to come all that way and see us getting beaten, you know. So anyway, eventually... I persuaded him. I had a ticket for him, but he only decided on the Sunday before the Thursday that it was coming. So he came along with Philip. He turned to Mokafal and said, I've come all this bloody way to see that. I know, yeah, his son got away from In my house, my mother had been too nervous to watch the game, so she went out to Weedy Garden by a hole, and my brother Dennis is watching the game. So when a penalty was given, Dennis stuck his head out the window and said, Mum, that's a penalty just been given against Celtic. Oh, mother of God, she said, and she started getting worried in with the hole. And a few seconds later, he stuck his head out the window again and said, by the way, Mum, it was Jim that gave away the penalty. <laughs> mother of God. Jesus, Barry and Joseph. And she took a rosary piece out of her pocket, dropped her knees, started saying a rosary in the front garden. Is that right? <laughs> All the neighbours looking out the window what the noise was. <laughs> what are you thinking at that point? Um, well, I'm disgusted. I'm not the type of dwelling things too much like that, so I was just seething at half-time. And I came at half-time and the boss said to me, forget about it, Kenny, just get on with it. You're doing all right, get on with things, you know. But at the time up, he said to me, it's maybe a bit careless, Kenny. And I said, ah, I ran across his path, man, you know. And um, he, I, I do, I just run across his path. Yeah. So I do very few referees with him, but probably a Nazi from Germany, you know, but <laughs> certainly a National Socialist. <laughs> 
you give away the penalty in a shut up shop. Oh, aye, completely. Because yeah. that's what they're known for. Yeah, yeah. They've, they've, it's a smash and grab job. Yeah, that's yeah, what they're yeah. hoping for. Yeah. But it's happened happened very early on. It has. But uh, funny enough, when you look at the, if you view the whole game, it was one of the best things that happened for us, if you can say it like that, because suddenly we've got possession all the time. Mm. Now, we, we had chances galore that we either didn't take or great saves by Sarti. Their keeper, keeper was brilliant. Eh? Unbelievable, you know. And, uh, and, and then, you know, in the second half, uh, came uh, the breakthrough and just before then I'd given an even better chance to Bobby Murdoch same type of pass right across the defence and he let it run on his left foot and uh, I said to him afterwards Murdoch he says I know what you're going to say Kearney he says it was a great pass but I was having trouble with my ankle he had an ankle problem right. and he says it was really slow at the time I said I didn't want to take a chance and hit the ball on my right foot so I ran it on my left at that time they came out you know mm-hmm. and then with Gemmels, and uh, Gemmels said to me uh, <laughs> later that night at a banquet, he says, Kenny, I, I thought you hadn't heard me. I said, you're fucking granny and black dog, <laughs> <aren't> you? <laughs> I said, I was, <laughs> I said, I was just biding my time. <laughs> yeah, I was waiting for somebody to come towards me. For them to come in. Yeah. Him. So when they did, the parents said, the guy came there, 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 and I passed it square. And fairly clapped at me, do you know? Yeah. I once to do that, I think I, I knew that we were on a winner. And then the, the, the goal came from um, a move we did at training all the time. Yeah. Down the flanks, ball into the middle, somebody waiting for it, knock it in. It was just an amazing night. And then when we went to the banquet afterwards, we had a, to wait an eternity before they turned up. Absolutely eternity. And of course, they were up to they come, you know, as you can understand. Ah. You know, just been beaten in a European Cup final. And some of the organisers are banquet. Yeah. <laughs> I would think it's the last thing you need. Uh, it, it would be fair to say that they weren't too happy about having to attend this function. And it turned out they asked a good evening for us, and back to the hotel, and very calm, nobody sort of over-celebrated. There was no great drunkenness or anything like that at all. Just, you know, we'd done what we set out to do, and next day turned out to be the biggest day of my life. The following day, met my wife for the first time, back in Glasgow, uh, went to Celtic Park. Her father was a director of Celtic. She come to pick up her parents. She was actually a groupie, and she was the one that picked me up. You know, because <laughs> she started the conversation. She said congratulations, and I said thank you very much for you doing yourself nowadays. She said love this finish. Second year in languages at Glasgow. And I'm going to teach in France for a year next year. And I said be sure and get your teeth checked before you go. And she said well, I'm fine enough. My dentist is just retired, and I said well I'll look at them for you. Oh, smooth off <laughs> Are you feeling peckish? thirsty or need to refuel there's just the place right on your doorstep shield bank coffee shop is a small country coffee shop one mile outside the village of salon it's in the grounds of shield bank riding and vaulting club they specialize in home baking homemade soups light lunches top quality fresh coffee and superb locally blended teas they cater for gluten-free dairy intolerant and vegan diets they're open Tuesday till Sunday, 10 till 6. Go give them a wee visit. A warm welcome is guaranteed. Find them on Facebook or Instagram at Shield Bank Coffee Shop. And if you need to book, call 01383 852 621. Cue the fake Rocky music. Over the past few weeks, we've searched high and low 
on football fan forums and social media for your questions for Jim Craig. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Ask Jim Anything. What was said or what was the overall atmosphere <clears throat> in the dressing room at halftime? Conference. Um, you know, we were in charge. We were one down, but we were given a good account of ourselves. The penalty was dismissed. You know, it was mentioned to me by the boss. They told me, forget about it. Nobody else mentioned it. So we had just to go out and do what we were doing the first half, do it again the second half. The goals would come. And uh, that was very sensible. Because there's no point in dwelling too much on the things that have happened in the past. Mm. you, you got to go for the future. On the route to the final, what opposition player stuck out to you? Who was Drukla great player, middle of the park, very calm, controlled, plays a bit like Modric does just now, right. gets the ball from one direction, dips the shoulder, goes the other way, and sprays it about, and all that kind of thing. But he was very good. Uh, some of the uh, the wingers were quite quick that I played against. Uh, you know, I was looking forward to um, uh, playing against Capellini in the final because I'd heard he was uh, pretty quick as well so mm. I saw something forward to it's, it's alright as long as I know he's quick I, the, the reason I wanted to know in advance was I don't want to get caught mm. you know there's no point in me giving him the wing if he's quicker than me somebody playing against somebody you, you do want to know how quick they are but it's not a panic motion it's just a question of yeah, set your game and mm. things like that you know? ah. Mark Murphy who's a really good friend of mine asks what was or did you Get a bonus for winning the European Cup. We did, yeah, fifteen hundred pounds. Which is after tax came to about seven hundred and forty-six, forty-seven. That's a lot of money. It is compared to what they're earning nowadays, mind you. It's, uh... I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> you came up against a great Ajax side. Yeah, yeah. Which had Cruyff in it. Yeah, yeah. What was that like? Well, I didn't play in either game. I was on the bench. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Which is why they get beaten. <laughs> <laughs> but they were a very good. Aye, aye, steam. And you know the thing I remember most about that was that um, we got a bit of a going over in, in uh, Amsterdam. We came back on, I think, Thursday afternoon. What we normally did would be the bus would take us back to Celtic Park and then we would just go away. The bus was there to take us back to Celtic Park. The bus told us to get changed because we were doing a training session on a Thursday afternoon with a game on a Saturday. And God, did he put us through it. Now, I think... It was Jockstein's idea of a punishment for us getting beaten by Ajax. I'm convinced of that. That it, it made him feel better seeing us suffer. Whereas we were beaten by a better team on the day. No doubt about it. And it's time to hold your hand up and say, well done. Yeah. And uh, But I think Jock took it off that day and was determined to make us suffer a wee bit because we have been beaten by Ajax. It didn't help us on Saturday because the legs were tired. Saturday, you've just played the night before and then you're doing all this running and Thursday afternoon and then we'd, we'd have been back Friday doing a bit of short stuff. Mm. You know, then Saturday. Yeah, nonsense. What was what was Steen like? He was a great boss. He was very learned. He knew his stuff. He put it across well. Very uh, severe in his attitude towards um, people who were drinking at the wrong time or going out at the wrong time. You get no sympathy for that. You had a sympathetic ear if you had a genuine problem, you know. Uh, I had a, an ankle uh, injury earlier in my career and um, it happened twice. I played, I played four weeks later and I did the same bloody ankle on the same bit and I was out for a month again and I came back and halfway through the first game, we are playing, it was, I think it's in Modern Reserves or something like that. He says to me uh, at half time, he says... Uh, 
Ja no aga ma siin ühe keele järjena, see Norrile ja see Tuklevel ja see Vangana, see on siis on lõpnud üle paark. Ja siis rõi, what are you going up? Centre forward and second half, okay. And if you were centre forward, and I scored a couple of goals. And uh, I played it. When I played with uh, Queen's Park under 16s uh-huh. and 17s, I was at inside right. right. And at Oxford, I was at centre forward. Right. And we scored a lot of goals. And um, on the stand at that game, it was at Celtic Park. This scout came in and sat beside Neely Mockard and said to him, um, it's a big guy up front. And Neely turned to him and said, that's Kearney, our man Craig. <laughs> <coughs> and that was where the Kearney came from. Right, right. Was right. it that night? There was a series on television called This Man Craig, John Kearney, the actor, played the lead. Right, so right. I was suddenly Kearney. Kearney. I've always been Kearney. Some of those guys do not know my Christian name after all these years. Because <laughs> when I meet them, they say... I say, how you doing, John? And they'll say, hey, Kelly, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Right, I'll give you a couple more questions, Jim. Talking about, we were talking about quiz ball later, eh, earlier, sorry. Ask him for a laugh. Which of the Lisbon Lions would never have made the quiz ball team? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Well, you could take your choice, couldn't you? <laughs> And welcome to this, the first programme in our new general knowledge competition, Quiz Ball. The teams taking part tonight are Arsenal and Nottingham Forest Football Clubs. For Arsenal, left to right, we have team manager Bertie Mee, players Ian Yeur and Terry Neal, and tonight's Arsenal supporter, Jimmy Young. Representing Nottingham Forest, this time right to left, team manager John Carey, players Bobby McKinney and John Barnwell, and supporting Nottingham Forest on this occasion, Ted Moats. And to keep both teams in order, our referee and question master... David Vine. No, it was it was a fascinating programme to take part in because, um, I mean, I quickly sussed that uh, the idea was you get four easy questions, three very easy questions, two more difficult questions and one difficult question. But amongst, <laughs> in the four easy questions were things about soap operas and television, which I never watched, by the way, mm. so I'm struggling straight away, right? <laughs> so I always went for Route 1 because there's no <laughs> chance I might know that one, mm. the things I've read in the past. That was People used to say to me, why do you go for Route 1 all the time? Because, I said, because if it's Route 4, they're going to say to me, who's played such and such in Coronation Street? I wouldn't have a bloody clue, to be quite honest, you know? And uh, so that was why I'd worked out that that was why I would go for the you know, difficult one. And when they say a difficult one, sometimes they were really quite straightforward if right. you keep up to date or you've you read things, you know. Right. They were straightforward. You know? Uh, you know? For people that don't know, what was, what was Quiz Ball? Quiz Ball was a programme where three players from a team plus a guest, special guest, took part in a quiz competition. And you had, when you got a chance, they would have one question which gave you the chance to then choose, and you could choose between four questions, three questions, two questions, or one question. And they were supposedly, uh, in degree of severity, coming right. down to one, was supposed to the most difficult one. Mm. But, as I say, sometimes the, 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 the questions in, in uh, the four set, set questions would be about soap operas, and as I say, I'm never a fan. You <laughs> know one from another, to be quite honest, you know. So I always avoided them with a plague, and I always went for, for either two or one, uh, because there's a fighting chance I might know it. Yeah. Uh, you know. They yeah. ask questions like, 
uh, what was Big Bertha now, and you, Bertha was a gun in the First World War. Don't ask me any more about it, but I have to know that <laughs> because I'd, somebody had, I'd heard somebody mention it or something like that, you know. And uh, that was a kind of question that was in, uh, in put in Section 1, you know. Yeah. Can I, a double barrel question? Is there anything you, you wanted to achieve in football or life in general that you haven't managed to? In football, the only thing is that um, I would like to have got more caps for Scotland. Mm -hmm. And um, I still suggest the reason I didn't was in those days Celtic fans didn't support Scotland. Celtic fans supported Northern Ireland or Republic of Ireland. And the Scottish SFE knew that, so they would play a Rangers player instead of a Celtic player where they could. That's why my team got very few Scotland caps in total between them all. Um, A ridiculous number of small... so bad. Yeah, it is. I happened to be the last one in through the door, so I get I suffered because and I got one cap for Scotland. And Bobby Brown then said to me, and I think this blotted my copybook a wee bit. He phoned me up and said uh, they were going to somewhere in the far east, a friendly. I, he'd like me to come along, and I said, to him, "Well, I've got to ask you, Mister Brown, am I going to be play? I was working as a dentist, as I told you, two afternoons a week, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm training at Surrey Park. And he says to me, "I said, are you, have I going to be playing?" He says, "Well, I, I think I'll put you on the bench, Jim, you know, for the game." And I thought, "I'm not going to allow you to sit on a bloody bench." By no. the I said, "Well, I'm sorry, Mister Brown, but I'm not coming. But I think that put me in bad stook mm-hmm. with them, and they thought I was knocking back playing for Scotland. No, I was playing. I was." Knocking back, going to, going all that way to the, the Middle East yeah. or Far East, it was to sit on a bench, Aye, I know. you know, <laughs> and come back again, you know. Yeah. So I said, no, I wasn't doing that. Um, but I would have played if I'd got the opportunity for uh, more caps. But yeah, that, that's only but that uh, annoys me. I was disappointed I didn't make the team for Feyenoord in 1970, and um, I was disappointed with the performance on the day. And people keep saying to me, why did the Lisbon team win? And I always say, because every single man rose to the occasion. And teams get beaten because only five men out of 11 rise to the challenge. The other six find it difficult, find they're off form, don't work hard enough. Mm. You name it, it's one of them. And that's why they get beaten. Whereas in Lisbon, no matter how many times you watch it, you'll see that everybody put a shift in. That was why we won that day. Because Cataracho's difficult system, they've been doing it a long, long time. Very difficult to win. I mean, they'd won the European Cup twice in the years previously. that, And, and they were a really good side. But, you know, as long as you work hard at something, there's a chance of you getting some life at the end of it. And that's what you must do. Can we touch on the Intercontinental Cup? You, as the European Cup winners, yeah. play the, I'm guessing it's the winners of the South American South American Championship, yeah. And that was a racing club or racing club. Or yeah. That would have been a bit of a culture shock in terms of how they played football. Well, it was because uh, the first incidents I got was at Celtic Park. Um, the game had just started and the ball went out of play for a throw into us and I went to get it and their guy was standing with it in his hands and the referee blew the whistle and pointed the opposite direction and he saw me come towards him and he threw the ball at me and spat at me in mm. the same motion and a roar came from out of the, out of the dugout by both the boss and Neely and Bob Rooney as well saying, no, no, Kenny, don't do anything, don't do anything, don't do anything you know, because I'm just to flatten the bugger, uh, you know, somebody does that to you, you know. You know, that's really, that was him marked in my card. Mm. <laughs> it's going to be a long 90 minutes for you, by the way, right? <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to do it very openly, you can do it subtly, yeah. you know. And uh, 
And that was an example of just what we were up against. And they did. The referees, and unfortunately, and I never understood this, you know, the referee here was, I think, more fair to them than he was to us. And when they got to South America, the referee out there, who I think, if I remember correctly, was from Argentina, Paraguay, one of those countries, definitely not from Argentina, could have been Brazil as well, but was unbelievably biased in favour of them, you know. They were jersey pulling, they were spitting and all the rest of it. Whereas a full-blooded challenge, which we would do, was not the right thing to do. It was mm. frowned upon and we'd be penalised for it. Mm. You know, and that, that made life very difficult for us. I did not enjoy my spell out there at all. No. At all. And uh, it was a very unhappy moment at the airport where we're sitting at tables and Joxine was sitting at a table by himself and suddenly he put his head down and just pushed the stuff to one side and, and sat on the table with his head in his hands. Jimmy Gordon, who's now Lord Gordon, was in charge of Radio Clyde at the time. Uh, he went across and sat with him and tried to kind of cajole him back. But uh, he was a very unhappy man because he felt he'd let everybody down because his team had not won the Intercontinental Cup. But we frankly had very little chance of winning it, to be quite honest. You know, because... And people say, what kind of game was it? And it was fractured, fragmented by bad tackles, by spitting, by jersey pulling. You know, we never get a chance to put things into operation at all. Mm. They scored a great goal, by the way, because the guy just looked up from about 25 yards and just wellied it right into the top corner. One of those flukes that sometimes happens. So it was a very unhappy journey. And then we come back to Britain. And what we decided to do was, we'd all bought stuff out there, so we decided that we would pack all our gear in one bag, and any other we would cram all our stuff, so everybody only had two bags to go through. And we bought stuff that we shouldn't have bought, but we were going through and not declaring it at customs or anything like that, so, yeah. right? so, <laughs> so we get to London Airport, go through, one player is asked to go over and have his bag checked, Billy McNeil. I need to pay a fine because he had stuff and the rest of us are sitting in the bus. <laughs> Can imagine his language was choice when he came back on the bus. <laughs> so, I set everybody a challenge Yes, on the podcast. I call it the shite bag if you didn't challenge. <laughs> Sorry, who's that? Cara? Yeah. All oh, right, okay. You behave yourself, Cara. <laughs> Your shite bag if you didn't challenge is a quiz. Yeah. Would you like some help? No. Would you not? No. Not for her. No. <laughs> shite bag if you didn't. Celtic are called the Hoops. Yes. There's many other teams around the world that mm. are also called the Hoops. Yeah. Or play in hooped jerseys. Yes. I'm going to give you some clues. Yeah. I've got five teams. Let's see how many you can get. Okay. First one, brothers Rio and Anton Ferdinand have played for this club. They're called the Super Hoops, and they play at Loftus Road in England. Um, I think somebody, that? I think somebody behind you knows it. Go ahead, QPR. Correct. 
Richard. <laughs> Richard, nice to meet you. You can take a seat if you want, if you want to get involved. So, next one. Okay. Known as the most successful team in Ireland, and former Celtic youth manager Damien Duff ended his playing career here, also known as the Hoops. Shamrock Rovers. Correct. Uh, next one. Players such as Ronaldo, Bruno Fernandes and Eric Dyer have played for this team. They're called the Lions and they're based in Portugal. Sporting Lisbon. <laughs> no, I heard it. I didn't hear it. I'm Sporting Lisbon is correct. Yeah, yeah. Right, another English one. This club was founded on Christmas Day and their nickname is the Royals. Former player is Dave Kitson. Reading. Reading. Reading, aye. And the last one. We've got four out of four so far. Last one. Located in the city of Seville, they signed Danielson for £21.5 million in 1998, which was the most expensive transfer at that time. They are called the Glorious. I do, and I can't remember. Um, give me a name, first letter. It starts with an R. Real Betis. That uh, is correct, Real yeah, Betis. Real Betis. Modern game must look alien, eh? Sometimes, eh? Well, no, I mean, they, they, they complain about things that they've no right to complain about, you know? I've got certain aspects I would like to change. Now, you come to Mosby with a ball, you skin me, you go one way, I go the other, I reach out and grab your jersey. I would order you off for that. Right. Because you have transgressed greatly in this game. The referee's not going to do that. He issues you a yellow card, which is not a punishment in this game. It's a punishment in some future games when you have four or five yellow cards mm -hmm. and you get a punishment for that, right? Mm -hmm. So we have got to bring the sin bin in because a referee is going to put you in a sin bin for that. And or people say, you don't want to be like rugby. We're not going to be like rugby. Rugby has a 10-minute sin bin. Ours is going to be 15 minutes or 20 right. minutes. Right. So the punishment affects the game. Yeah. If you've been a naughty boy, off you go, right? And behave yourself, sir. Okay. Now the other one is, I would look away back in 1925. Fullbacks, frankly, who are always the most intelligent players in any team. <laughs> what position did you play, Tim? <laughs> they started using the offside law to their advantage. They would crowd up near the halfway line, yeah. and as the ball was played forward, they would step forward, so they were in the opposition half. And the players were caught offside. And the goal scoring rate, you can check it, you just look up the statistics, the goal scoring rate dropped dramatically. Even a team like Celtic, noted for scoring goals, the goal scoring rate dropped dramatically. So they tried a few games where different rules were put in operation. We tried, you went offside at all, but they decided that that wasn't the answer. They decided to have a 10-yard line, a, a, a line like 30 yards from goal, where you could only be offside in there, but they didn't want extra markings as well. And then somebody came up with the idea of changing the offside law at that time, which was three men between you and the goal, to two men, the way it is just now. Now, that, the bit that's always fascinated me is, that in theory should not have affected the principle, because the principle is still the same. You're catching people offside. But the goal scoring rate started getting up again. But coaches then get annoyed by the fact that they weren't scoring as many goals and goal scoring rate did go up again. And coaches then made centre-half, who up until then had been quite an attacking player, he'd come off his position and join in, they made him the stopper, centre-half. And the goal scoring rate went back down again. Mm -hmm. So I would like to see a few games played where we tried something different. One is, I would like to see a game played where you were not allowed to pass the ball back in your own half. To the keeper? Anybody. All right, okay. 
Because it drives me fucking daft. <laughs> what, going back with the ball? Aye. The ball goes from the right back. Keeper throws it out to the right back. He finds somebody in front of him. So he then passes it to the centre back. The ball goes to the left back. And he lumps up the damn part. So I would like to see a game where you cannot. You've got to pass the ball forward. Or you knock it up the park. At least you're getting up. You're going towards the opposite goal. I'd like to see a few games played and people are are welcome to put forward other ideas. That's my idea. Mm-hmm. But they're welcome to put forward other ideas that they might like to see tried to see if it would improve what can sometimes be quite dull. Because if, if one team goes in and they're 2 nothing lead, they do the, the pass-back bit all the bloody time, don't they? Mm. You know, even the forwards come back in their own half and start passing the ball back to the midfield, the midfield back, the defenders are putting their the full-back and all that kind of stuff. Mm. Nuts. I think it's, because there's so much money in football now, there's so much teams could lose financially by losing yes. that they're setting up not to lose, That's but right. also not to win. Not to win, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, I would like to see the, the the international football association board, which deals with all matters like that. I would like to see them take a bit over the and say, "Nah, the football we're watching is not very interesting sometimes, so we're going to make it more entertaining." And one of the things we'll try is that. Now, other people will come up with other things. Try them as well. See what. Yeah. But I just think if we stop doing that, at least the ball will go towards the opposition half and towards mm. the goal at the other end. And think it would be worth a try. Well, Jim, what are you having for tea tonight? Curry. Curry? Yeah, Korma. Korma, eh? Yeah, Korma. Safe option. Well, I spent all night making it, so. Um, mm-hmm. I Did you? I hope it's nice. This right. is Ella, and this is Cara. Hi. How you doing? You alright? And I just saw some footage of this young lady playing football the other day. Yeah. Your football player? Box to box midfielder, apparently. Very good. <laughs> what were you? What are you into? Netball. What position? I play on the wing. And were you saying these are your your favourite grandchildren? Eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right, Jim, I'm going to let you get on because. Well, thank you very much for coming. I, and cheers for your time, I really appreciate no, sure. it. Cheers, no. bud. I hope my dribble is uh, of some use to you. Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.